Today, we are talking about love is not self-seeking. We had a great example of that last night. About 20 of our high school students, along with three volunteer leaders, boarded a bus at 10 o'clock at night to head to Knoxville, Tennessee, for a week-long youth conference. Three adults that board a bus at 10 o'clock at night to spend a whole week with high school kids intentionally, that is not self-seeking behavior. That is other-directed, self-sacrificing behavior. Last night, we had a woman drive down from Massachusetts. She gets back to her car after getting her daughters on the bus and realizes that all her car doors are locked. She doesn't know where her keys are. She calls the tow truck. The tow truck comes and realizes and gets the door open faster than you'd think. And this um, woman looks inside her car and no keys. They eventually call the daughter. The daughter had the keys on the way to Knoxville, Tennessee. This woman is two hours from home. They call the bus and say there are keys on the bus. And so they said, stop that bus. And... The bus, and I haven't heard the end of the story, but the bus was supposed to stop by a rest area, drop off the keys, and then this woman was going to get into Al and Colleen Kim's car, and they were going to follow the bus down until they got the location where the keys are, and then drive this woman back to the church so that she can go home. That is not self-seeking behavior. You know, unless Colleen and Al left her on the side of the road somewhere, that's highly doubtful, though. I just haven't heard the end of the story. And here at a quarter of 11 at night, they said, oh, we'll drive you the 45 minutes to get your keys so that you can go home. Uh, that is self-sacrifice and, um, and a loss of sleep as well in making that kind of decision that kind of night. As I've been living with 1 Corinthians 13... And working on this capacity to love others, I've discovered this dynamic that's in place as we're trying to love each other's deeper. That love is not something that we can just turn on and off in certain circumstances and for certain people. That the goal of the series is not to get really good at turning love on when we need to and then turning it off again when we don't need it anymore. That's never God's intention for our lives. Gritting your teeth and loving someone is not what God intended. That God's intention is that we become the kind of people that would love them. That God's intention is that our heart is shaped and our character is shaped. So that we're not gritting our teeth to love other people, but that we become the kind of people who are loving people in the world. And so today, Paul looks at love and he says, love is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. Love is not focused on your own self-interest. Love does not put others at the, or put yourself at the center of your own life. Love is not only seeking things for yourself. And you may have noticed that most people are mostly concerned about themselves. I know I have that problem. That problem is kind of big for most people, that we are mostly concerned about ourselves in any particular moment. That when we have a need, that need can become higher than the needs of others around us. When there is something that feels good, we tend to focus on what that is for us and not for others. I know, and I know that the more I focus on me, the less I tend to focus on others. And the more I want for me, 
the less I am apt to do and to give for others. And so many people feel this tension between being self-seeking, want to make sure that we care for ourselves and do what's right for us, and yet at the same time trying to live a life of love and service for other people. And we can feel caught in that tension between those two worlds. And in our day, there's a lot of emphasis on being yourself. It says, be your true self. And oftentimes that means for, in our world, follow your own desires, follow your own passions, do, do what feels best, invest in yourself. And we buy into this afraid to be selfless because we wonder, if I don't watch out for me, who will? And I think what we miss is that our true self is not the self that we manufacture on our own, that our true self is found in Christ and through Christ As we are being shaped into agents of love in this world, that is our true self. Our true self is not what we can manufacture for ourselves. Our true self is what Christ is doing inside us and how Christ transforms us into agents of love. And I see so many people so scared to give themselves this way that they fail to discover the destiny that God has for them. Proverbs 11.25 says this, and says, the generous soul will be rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Great wisdom from the writers of Proverbs, who says, for the person who wants to be generous, generous with their things, and generous with their time, and generous with their stuff, they will be rich. They will receive back from others. For those who waters and invest their time and resources in others, they too will be watered in return. And today, that is the kind of life that we want to build and grow inside other people, inside ourselves. And it takes through a series of steps that we do this. And so today, we want to walk through a series of steps to grow out of our selfishness. Um, We are all born selfish. My girls were very selfish when they were born. Feed me, change me, hold me, pay attention to me, make me feel better. And the goal of growing up is to grow out of our selfishness. That's what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like growing from one who is born selfish into one who is selfless in the way that they love others. None of us are born righteous or with perfect DNA or with perfect attitude of how to approach the world. There is growth that happens from the day that we are born. So the first thing that we want to say is this. The first point is this, is that we don't often see our own selfishness. In one article, it says that about 17% of people said that they were overly concerned about themselves. 17% said that I probably worry more about myself than I probably should. Those same people were asked and said, but 60% of other people are overly concerned about themselves. I'm in the group that isn't, but then 60% are much more likely to care only about themselves. Selfishness is very easy to see in other people. I can point out selfishness in others about a mile away, but most often don't see it in myself. And so we need to start with the premise that to some degree we are all selfish people. 
And it may come through in different places. For some, it may be time. That they'll look at their time and say, no, I have to hold on to my time to do what's most valuable for me. For others, it may be possessions. I need to hold on to my possessions to do what's right for me. For others, it may be their likes or their dislikes. I'm going to be selfish for what I want, even if others may want something different. Chances are we see the selfishness in others a mile away, but we have a lot of trouble seeing it inside of ourselves. And here's the thing the scriptures tell us that it's there from birth. One day I watched selfishness play out in front of me firsthand. I saw a a person working on a truck And they were working on a truck, happy as could be. And this other person comes by to the truck and shoves that person down and is about to take the truck from them. And I see this and I quickly jump in to try and bring peace to these circumstances. And I took possession of the truck from the person who was trying to take it. And I helped the one who had been pushed to the ground up and talked to both of them about how this is not the way that we do things in our world. We are to be people of peace. Both those individuals were two years old playing in the church nursery. (laughs) You're kind of like, wow, selfishness is a problem for us very early on from day one. So it's good to admit that it's in ourselves. And we say to God, God, I can see selfishness in others a mile away, but chances are my selfishness is a blind spot for me. And so the second thing that we want to say is this. We say that selfishness is a problem for all of us, is that our selfishness tends to grow because our inner resources are depleted. So a German psychoanalyst, philosopher Eric Fromm, he talked about how we got to love ourselves before we can love others. And there's been some controversy about kind of how far that goes. But I want to bring up one of his statements from one of his book. And this is what he says. He says, the selfish person seems to care too much for himself. So the selfish person seems to be really involved in what they're doing. But he says, but actually, the selfish person only makes an unsuccessful attempt to cover up and compensate for his failure to care for his real self. Now, Eric Fromm, he says that it's more about self-love. You've got to love yourself before you can love others. But he points to this lack of inner resources in being a selfish person. That our selfishness and focus on ourselves, it reveals that we lack inner resources to be selfless and other-seeking. Selfishness is a compensation for what we are lacking inside our souls and inside our hearts. When those inner resources are depleted, we tend to ask, well, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? What am I going to get? What I want? When those questions start, that is when we begin to use things like money and prestige or sex to try and take care of ourselves. And we compensate with unhealthy things to make up for the life-giving things that are missing inside of our lives. I thought about this about my own life, that the times where I tend to be most self-seeking is the time where this, my inner soul or my heart or my brain is depleted of resources in some way, where I'm depleted as a person and I begin to hold on to my time closer and my money closer and I become much much more aware of others' selfishness and less aware of my own. And people will say about this current generation 
of people, they'll say, well, the current generation, I think all generations, are so selfish in the way that they look at this world. But I wonder if the problem isn't so much that their hearts are selfish, but we are not teaching people to develop the inner resources to be people who are life-giving and sacrificial people. That it's not so much that this generation is selfish, but it's that we haven't taken the time in life to develop their inner resources so that they can be people who love and sacrifice and are life-giving towards others. John Ortberg, he begins his book on the soul talking about a town high in the Alps that straddled the bank of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea, and the water was crystal clear, and the children laughed and played beside it. Swans swam in the stream. If When you looked in the water, you could see right to the bottom the rocks and the rainbow trout that swam. High in the hills beyond anyone's sight lived an old man who had served as a keeper of the spring. He had been hired a long time ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches, fallen leaves, or debris that may pollute the water, but his work was unseen. And one year the town council decided they had better things to do with the money. No one supervised the man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to pay and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream in the stagnant bogs. And for a time in the village, nobody noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some of the people in town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams and fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. And in time, the springs were cleaned, and the streams was pure, and the children played again on its banks, and the illness was replaced by health, and the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. And the whole time you're thinking that, okay, the old man of the keeper of the stream, that's God. And we're the council who decides not to participate and things like that. And then he ends the story with this. He says, the stream is your soul and you are the keeper. It's like, I am the keeper. What does he mean by that? That one of the things that we are able to do as people and as human beings is we can direct where our attention goes. We can actually decide where to put our attention in this world. And the point of the story is that we are the keepers of the souls, of our souls. We can decide where to put our attention so that our inner resources do not get depleted and we do not live with this emptiness of soul. And so the next question is this is what decisions am I making to care for my soul? 
if we're the keepers of our soul, then what decisions, where are we choosing to put our attention so that our souls can be built up again? Our souls don't get depleted. Our souls are renewed. And John Ortberg, later in the book, he says, ironically, the more obsessed we are with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. That the more we think about ourselves, the more we neglect our soul. And because our soul is then empty, the more we think about ourselves. And then the more we think about ourselves, our soul gets emptier until we reach this point where we just look to kind of serve ourselves because we're so depleted on the inside. But here's what's good news is that the opposite is also true. As we allow God to grow in our souls, we will naturally become the type of people who are increasingly selfless and loving in our actions. That the way to increase our capacity to love is to put ourselves in places where God can shape us. Someone asked me recently that what was the most important thing that you learned in your relationship and in your life with God? And I said, I'm going to give you two answers. The first answer really isn't for the sermon today, but I'll tell you what the first answer was. The first answer was learning in the fifth grade that I could not do life on my own. Needed to have people to check my homework like my mom in that certain scenario. And later in life, to be able to have people to come alongside you and to help that none of us can do life of our own. There's No such thing as an individual apart from other people. What we accomplish, we accomplish because of those around us. And the second answer I gave was this. I started it this way. I said, you know, God's opposed to works in your life. That we don't need to work to gain God's love. We don't need to do good works to have God like us or approve of us or love us. That so many will just say, well, I got to be good enough to go to church or good enough to pray and then God will love me. That's not how it works with God. We cannot earn God's love or earn God's salvation. Both come as gifts to us. And then I finished the sentence this way. I said, but God is not opposed to effort in my life with him. My wife does not need to earn my love, but it's something we both need to put great effort into My kids don't need to earn my love. I love them no matter what, but it's something that we both need to put effort into. It's something that we all need to work at. And when I answered this question, I was standing in front of a group of people who are healing from addictions. And I said, you know better than anyone, don't you? And they all just started nodding their head. That they were putting enormous efforts into getting clean. And they gave the effort of admitting there was a problem. And they gave the effort of asking for help. And they gave the effort of sitting in groups and describing on their worst days how they were feeling. And they were giving the effort of meditation and quiet. And they were giving the effort of saying, I can't do this on my own. So I'm going to check myself into this place so that I can receive accountability and get the help that I need. I have learned that I need to put myself in places for God to work And allow God to change me on the inside. When I do this, God builds my inner resources. I compensate less with self-actions. And it allows me to focus more on others without becoming bitter or exhausted. And so our charge is to grow in God and to love others. 
And our ability to seek the good for others comes directly from God's maturing and transforming power in each of us. And there's nothing gimmicky or trendy in allowing this to happen. That especially in ministry in the United States, we just want to find that next thing, that next gimmick, that next trend to kind of hold on to that'll kind of just make things happen. But really, it's the old tried and true things that allow transformation to take place. And so one of the first things is worshiping God. Worship is a focused time where, yes, we'll sing songs and read scriptures and open the Bible and pray. But it's all to remind us that God is the one that we worship. We do not worship ourselves. God is the one who is at the center. It is not us at the center. And every Sunday, the goal is to increasingly put God at the center of our lives so that we can live as God called us to live. And it may only start with, okay, God, when I'm here inside this building, you're at the center. And then we leave and we like, Monday through Saturday, we kind of put ourselves at the center and we realize that we have a little bit more growing to do. And yet, the more and more... We worship God. The more and more we sing songs that put God as the one above everything, the more that we read scriptures that puts God at the center, the more we realize Monday through Saturday that, God, this life is not about putting me at the center. It's about putting you at the center. In worship, the music is not about what I like or don't like, but what it says about God. It's about singing it with other believers in worship. It's not about flash or volume. It's about attentiveness to God and openness to God. In worship, we practice putting the attention on God. And as God fills us, our attention over the week shifts more and more to God and allows us to love God and to love others and to serve and to live with a selfless heart. We choose what gets our attention. On Sunday mornings, you can choose what gets your attention for an hour on Sunday morning. Second thing that we need to do, no great gimmick in this, no flash, no trend, is prayer allows God to change us. And you say, Chris, you're second to last sermon and you're calling us to worship and prayer. Yep, they're the tried and true ways of transformation. In prayer, we can pray about ourselves. God wants us to pray about ourselves. But as we pray, our mindset begins to shift away from us and our self-seeking behaviors and attitudes to what God is doing around the world. There's a maturing that happens when we say, God, I need this from you and this from you and this from you to where we finally say, God, your will be done each day. As we pray, our mindset begins to shift away from what God is doing, to shift away from what we are doing to what God is doing. And if you are actively praying for a person, you are most likely, you are more likely to join God in seeking the good for that person. When I start to see selfishness enter into my relationships, I know that's when I need to start praying for the person where selfishness is happening. When it starts to take over in my marriage or as a dad or as a pastor or as a boss or as a friend, I need to begin praying for those people. And then God changes me on the inside to want the best for them in that relationship and not just for me. 
worship and prayer, just the basics. The last one is we read the scriptures. They are not the basics. They are the foundations of transformation in Christ. As we worship and as we pray and as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And scripture then becomes the way that we begin to speak. The more scripture gets into us, the more scripture becomes the way that we think. The more scripture becomes the way that we speak. The more scripture becomes the way that we act. It gets deep inside us and now we're less self-seeking and more open to love and serve those around us. If anyone wonders why they cannot break the cycle of selfishness in their lives, my hunch is that there's a lack of worship and prayer and scripture reading. It is through those avenues that we begin to see God's love for us. And then we begin to love naturally over what God is doing inside us. We begin to love without gritting our teeth. It allows us at 1045 at night to drive a woman who can't get into her car all the way down the New Haven to get her keys at some out-of-the-way spot without gritting your teeth to do it. It allows us to help a rival or enemy and want the best for them without gritting our teeth to do it. It allows us to give up our preferences for the good of others without gritting our teeth to do it. It allows us to invest in the lives of others, even if it takes our time and our resources so that they can grow and accomplish something unique without gritting our teeth and doing it. It allows us to sacrifice ourselves without gritting our teeth and doing it because God has changed the inside and we've become just naturally people of love and sacrifice. One of the early conversations about this series that the staff had is we said that it can't become too like out there, too Pollyannish or too like, oh, all you need to do is love. It needs to be kind of practical in that way. And there were some concerns expressed at one point. Well, if you live as a loving person, does that fit inside the career culture and work culture of our of our or does it fit inside the work culture? Does it fit inside the neighborhood culture? Or if you love and serve in such a way, is that going to hurt your ability to advance at work or hurt your ability to advance in other places at life, in life? And I'll say this, is that friends don't leave you when you love them and serve them well. Jobs don't fire people who are loving and serving and constantly wanting the best for other people. People don't walk out of churches because you're loving them and wanting the best for them all the time. The people who learn this life of Jesus Christ, of loving service towards one another, their relationships, their connections, their friendships will start just growing off the charts healthy because we chose to love and serve first.